Take your Bible, please, and let's go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. We'll begin at verse 45 this morning. And if you don't have your Bible, you can look it up on your digital device there or follow along with me here. Praise God. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, for he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your living word. I pray that you would speak through my lips of clay and anoint me to preach the word of the living God. And I pray you would anoint this congregation hearing the word that they might practice it in their life. We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Have you ever failed a test? Nobody said anything. Got A honor roll students in here. Have you ever failed a test? I think we've probably all failed a test. Maybe some of you haven't. But life will throw tests at you from time to time. The Bible talks about the testing of our faith, the proving of our faith. And the account I've just read to you is the account of the failing of a test by the disciples. I didn't fail many tests, and I didn't fail any tests in college, but I did get some lower marks than I would have liked, and I'm certainly not going to share that with you this morning. I wouldn't want it publicized. I certainly wouldn't want it in the Bible. And I'm glad that God does not publish our failed tests and put them in the Bible. Uh, But I'm glad that he did include this one because it is an example to us of how God works in the life of his children. In order to best understand the paragraph I just read to you, you'd have to go One paragraph ahead or back and read the account of the feeding of the 5,000 which took place just before this incident on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had gathered a crowd of people who were following him and he's preaching to them. He's teaching them all day long and uh, some scholars say maybe as many as 12,000 people. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, uh, we don't have enough food to feed all these people. You should send them away so that they can go and buy food in the towns and villages nearby. And Jesus answered in a very matter-of-fact way, and he said, you feed them. Of course, uh, they uh, realized that they didn't have the potential to do that, but they did find a, a few fish and a few loaves of bread, which they brought to him, which was the 
a sack lunch perhaps prepared for this little boy that was in the audience. Jesus takes the bread and the fish, and you know the story very well. Uh, he blesses it, and then he distributes it to the people. And as they're distributing these five loaves and two fish, all of a sudden it just multiplying in their hands. And before you know it, the entire crowd of maybe 20,000 or so people ate. And the Bible said they ate until they were full. So they had more than enough. Aren't you glad God feeds us till we're full? God is a God of the abundance, a God of su- su- sufficient supply, a God of more than enough. And, and then the Bible said the miracle was so great, there were 12 baskets full of fragments left over. I don't know if the little boy took that home or the disciples took it home, but somebody took a whole lot of leftovers that were uh, created by the working miracle power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we arrive at verse 45, and the Bible says, And Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida. Now, he puts them onto the boat. They're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a a very large lake. Uh, The word sea can be misleading because we generally think of a sea uh, being a, a rather more the size of an ocean. But this is really a very large lake. And so they're going to cross from one side of the lake to the other by boat, maybe a five-mile trip or so. And uh, Jesus is bidding them to go, but he doesn't go with them. In fact, the Bible says that he stayed on the land, and he himself was sending the people away. So Jesus is the is now the... The, uh, the, the greeter uh, at the door and he's, he's bidding everybody goodbye and he's, he's uh, letting the people go and he's giving them his final word. The disciples get onto the boat as he has instructed and they're crossing the sea. And then the Bible said that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. If you ever go to Galilee, you'll know that the mountains aren't far. The mountains literally just roll right into the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus didn't go far uh, to pray he went off to a place to pray, which was a common experience in the life of Jesus. And I'll just mention for you this morning that if Jesus needed to pray, you and I do too. And I notice here that Jesus goes to pray. He often did this in the Gospels. It says that he withdrew himself to pray. And he goes to pray after a victory, after a great success. Now, he didn't go to a restaurant. He didn't go so that the disciples could pat him on the back and tell him, Wow, Lord, that was the best sermon I ever heard. That was an amazing miracle. What an altar call. He didn't go to hear any of that. In the middle of the victory, in the middle of the success, he goes to pray. And that's an important lesson for all of us. That even in the highlights of life, even in the victory moments, we still need the voice of God. We still need the direction of the Father in our life. And, and often we think of going to pray when we're in trouble, when we're in need, when we're in a place of pressure. But really, uh, it's just as important to go and seek God in those moments just after you've had a great success so that you are aware of the fact that pride can creep in very easily. And it's best to come back to the source of the power and say, thank you, because if it had not been for you, this wouldn't have been possible in my life. The disciples are on the sea and the Bible says that evening came. The night begins to set in and while they're on the sea, a great storm arises. Now this is a a particular phenomenon known to the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a, a low point in the 
a geography of the earth that's actually below sea level. And so the Sea of Galilee has this particular phenomenon that although it's not a very big body of water, that it can have some deadly storms. And this storm comes upon the people in the boat that Jesus had sent to the other side of the sea. The Bible says in describing this storm that the wind was against them. Now there are three things I want to mention this morning about this situation because I believe I'm speaking to people who are going through this particular type of crisis this morning. First of all, to that group that feels like, and you'd say, Pastor, I feel like the wind is against me. There have been times in life when I feel like the wind is at my back, where everything works my way, where all of my prayers get answered, where I just feel like the wind is just moving me uh, and coasting me into progress. But right now, Pastor, if I tell you the truth, I feel like everything is against me. Like the wind is against me, like like all uh, all of the power of circumstances against me is trying to hold me back, trying to keep me from accomplishing the thing that God has in my life. And friend, I must tell you that this is the work of the enemy. The enemy always opposes the work of God in your life. You will discover that the first time that Jesus on a different occasion crosses the Sea of Galilee, a storm came up because Jesus was about to go and set free the demoniac of Gadara. And there was a a, a mission from God that the enemy wanted to oppose. And this time, if you continue reading chapter 6, you'll discover that when Jesus comes to the other side of the sea, the people bring to him the sick and the lame and uh, in their stretchers. And just by standing in his shadow, they began to be healed. So obviously, Satan is trying to oppose the work of God. And his strategy hasn't changed to this day. He will, uh, if, if possible, hinder you from achieving those things that God wants to do in your life. And so, if the wind is against you this morning, I want to tell you to listen to this message because God has a word for your life. The next group is that group the Bible said they were straining at the oars. This word, uh, one of the Greek words used here out of the two Greek words to describe this phrase, straining at the oars, the word uh, means to be pushed or to be driven. The disciples were being pushed at, on the sea by these great winds. And this is another characteristic of demonic attack that the enemy seeks to drive people. He wants to push you around. And uh, we see that in the ministry of Jesus. A man brings his son to Jesus and he says, My boy is demon possessed. And the demon uh, drives him to do crazy things. He throws himself in the fire. He'll throw himself in the water and tries to drown him. This, this demonic power drives him. And this is one of the, one of the works of the devil that he, he, he drives those that he can. And you will uh, see if you've ever encountered a demon possessed person or a person who's oppressed by a demon that they can't stay in one room for long and they can't sit for long they can't stand for long they're constantly being driven constantly uh, un- uncomfortable with circumstances there there is a a weariness that comes into the life of those people and maybe the devil understands that he can't do that to you he can't get in the driver's seat because Jesus is in the driver's seat right say amen somebody I said, Jesus is in the driver's seat. But he says, I'll, I'll try to push him around in other ways. 
And so we have the third group, and that's the other word here in the straining at the oars. The Greek implies to be tortured, to be tormented, to be tested, to have your metal tested. And so we see the third work of the enemy, that he comes to test our metal. Metal is tested in order to see how much weight it can hold, how much pressure it can resist. And so when they build these mighty skyscrapers, you want them to test the metal. You want to make sure that that building that's going to rise for a hundred stories has the metal strong enough to endure the wind and the rain and the storms and the trials and vicissitudes of life. And here you have the enemy coming to test the metal of the disciples. And you know, when you read the book of Daniel, Daniel talks about the last days. And one of the satanic strategies of the last days, the scripture says that the Antichrist will wear out the saints. So I've come this morning to talk to somebody who feels like you're wearing out. Satan knows, okay, I can't get in the driver's seat because Jesus is in the driver's seat. But I will wear them out. I'll give them so much trouble, so much to deal with, that they'll just get tired and they'll give up. And this has been one of the results of this pandemic, that it has worn out many people in their faith. And variant after variant after variant and and trial after trial has come in this season. And and the enemy's strategy is simple. I want to wear you out. I want to wear you down. I want to test you to the point of breaking but I've got some news for the devil this morning and that is this that the metal that you and I are made of is not of human making it is not of human origin it's not my willpower it's not my my personal character integrity the metal that you and I are made of is the grace of the almighty God that is sustaining us through every test and trial of life come on somebody give God praise because you haven't broken and the reason you haven't broken is because you have the grace of God operating in your life Paul prayed three times that God would remove the pressure. He said, I, I, I want you to remove this thorn in my flesh. And the Lord answered him saying simply this, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is perfected in your weakness. When you think you can, you can't. But when you think you can't, then you can because God says my grace will come in to that situation and bring about the, the, make up the difference in your life. And so this morning, if you're straining at the oars, the Spanish is an interesting uh, translation. It helps understand a little bit. It says they were, they were, they were rowing until they were fatigued. And maybe this morning you are straining at the oars. You, you've put all of your might and power into just staying afloat. Into just surviving. Into just making it. I don't know if many of you have had the opportunity to row a boat or a canoe. Uh, perhaps some of you have. Uh, that is something that I enjoy uh, doing and have enjoyed in my life. And even on, even on tranquil water, rowing is A workout. But these guys were not on tranquil water. They're in a storm. And now it's either row or die. 
Either you row, either you stay in the fight, either you keep pushing, or this storm is going to take you down. They find themselves exhausted by the effort to try to, uh, to get through this storm. But I have some good news for you this morning. And that is that the Bible says that Jesus saw them from the shore. He saw them in their, in their turmoil, in their struggle. He saw them in their fight to stay afloat. He saw them uh, from the shore. I don't care how hard things get in your life. I don't care how troubled the waters may become. It doesn't matter how difficult the storm on the inside of you is. You are never outside of the view of God. He sees you. I said, he sees you. Say it this morning. God sees me. I don't know all that you're going through, but he does. He came to Moses at the burning bush. And he said to Moses, he said, tell the people of Israel that I have seen their affliction. And I have heard their cry. And I have come down to deliver them. And this morning I've come to tell you the same thing. God sees you. God knows. You may, you may not see him because of the, the waves and the rain and the wind and the fear. But he sees you. And so long as you are within his view, you can have his help. Come on somebody. He is the omnipresent God. There's no place you can go where he can't see you. The psalmist said, though I make my bed in hell, the Lord will be there. He understood something you and I need to understand this morning. There is no place you can go, no trouble that can find you, that God cannot intervene in your life and do his mighty work on your behalf. Say it again, God sees me. He saw them straining at the oar. And the Bible says, and at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Now, in in the culture of the day, there were four watches at night. Now, you and I don't observe watches at night. We don't realize how, how much we take for granted that we can sleep all night without being afraid of someone attacking our city or vandalizing our community. And yet in those days there were watchmen who kept watch at night. The first watch was from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. The next watch was from 9 to midnight. The next watch was from midnight to 3 a.m. And then the last watch was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And Jesus describes these actually in Mark chapter 13 verse 35. He called them the evening watch, the midnight watch, The rooster watch and the morning. And I wonder tonight, which, I wonder this morning, which watch you might be in. We read about Paul and Silas who were in the midnight. Their feet were in stocks, their hands were in in chains, they had been beaten within an inch of their life, and yet at midnight, at the midnight watch, they started to sing. Is there a song in your soul? You see, friend, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what watch you're in. What matters is that there be a song in your soul. That there be a confidence that God is on my side. God sees me and God knows. Peter came to the, to the rooster crow. He came to the, 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 the rooster watch and the Bible tells us that at that 
time when he was tested, he, he denied the Lord. He lost his faith and he denied Christ and he fell into the pits of despair and despondency because he didn't have the, the spiritual muscle to endure the test of that moment. But even for Peter, there was restoration. And this morning, maybe you have fallen under the pressure of things, but I've come to tell you that there is restoration for you if you will call out to God in faith. But then there's the fourth watch. And the Bible actually calls it the morning. This is the watch at which God throughout history has moved on behalf of his people. When you read Exodus chapter 14, the Bible says that at the morning watch, the Lord delivered the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. It seems that God likes to wait all night before he does what he wants to do. It seems that God likes to wait till 3 a.m. when it seems like all hope has been lost. But just then, because God has his perfect timing, he sends an hour of deliverance. And friends, I've come today to tell you that the same God that delivered Israel out of Egypt can deliver you out of trouble this morning if you will call upon him in faith. The Bible tells us about the the four lepers who arose at the twilight at the morning watch. They came to attack the Assyrian army and the Lord arose with them to deliver them. What are you telling me, Pastor? I'm telling you what time it is. No, I don't mean it's a few minutes before 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. I'm telling you it's morning. I'm telling you God has an hour of deliverance scheduled for you. And that hour is right now if you will step into it by faith. At the fourth watch of the night, he came walking to them on the sea. We can be astounded by this fact that Jesus walks on the water. You and I serve a God who doesn't need a boat. He doesn't need skis. He doesn't need a raft. We serve a God that if you are on the 100th floor in a burning building, doesn't need a ladder or an elevator. You serve a God that if you are stuck in the deepest part of a well, he doesn't need a drill system to get to you. We serve a God that is able to walk above the circumstances of life and above the storm. We serve a God who is not intimidated by the waves. He is not intimidated or afraid of the storm. He is not moved by the wind. He is the Lord of glory. I've come to tell you this morning that Jesus came out to them. And Jesus is coming out to you. Tell your neighbor, help is on the way. Tell the other neighbor, help is on the way. Come on, tell yourself, help is on the way. He came walking to them on the Sea of Galilee. This is the Lord of glory. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. This is the mighty maker of the, of the skies. This is the God who has power over the wind and the rain. Friends, you ought to be excited this morning that you don't serve a God who is subject to the circumstances of life. He rides above it. He walks above it and he's walking toward you. Come on, somebody. He crossed over hell and the grave to get to you. What will he not do this morning to bring deliverance into your life? He's walking over disease. And sickness. He's walking across defeat and division. 
He's walking across lack and financial instability. He's headed your way. He has deliverance for you. He has an answer for you. He's, he's come to tell you, I see you. I know you. And I will deliver you. We sang it this morning. There is good news for the captive. There is good news for the shame. There is good news for the one who walked away. There is good news for the doubter. For the one religious religion failed. The good Lord has come to seek and save. Can somebody give God praise that he has come to seek and save. He is our rescuer. He is our defender. He is our advocate. Come on somebody. He is the Lord of glory. He comes walking out to them. On the sea. And the Bible uses this very interesting expression. It says he intended to pass them by. When you study that a little deeper. You understand that the Greek implies that he was extending an offer. He was walking out on the sea. They're in trouble. And. If they don't call out to him, he'll just walk right past them. God wants you to call upon him. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. He says, call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. He said in another place, no one who ever called upon the Lord will under any circumstances be turned away. He was extending an offer to them and he's extending the offer to you. God will not force himself into your life. He wants you to invite him into your life. He wants you to invite him into your circumstances. And it takes a long time for some people to just break their self-reliance and understand I need God in my life. But friend, the sooner you learn to humble yourself and acknowledge him and invite him into your circumstances, the sooner you'll be able to get through the challenge that you face. And the Bible says that when they saw him, they became terrified because they thought he was a ghost. Now you can just imagine this. They were already scared. They were scared for their life. They were rowing for their life. They thought they could die in this, in this uh, uh, sea, which although not very large, is very deep. But now they're scareder. Sometimes you have to make up words. Have things ever gone from bad to worse? Lord, I don't have time for ghosts and goblins right now. I'm trying to just get through this. And he is walking out. They think he's a ghost. And friends, I want to encourage you this morning to exchange your fear for fear. You see, there's something that happens in a life when you stop fearing the storm and you start fearing the God who rides above the storm. Something happens in your life. Something liberating takes place when you stop fearing man and you start fearing God. The fear of God, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
The fear of God is not terror or torment, but it is a reverence and an honor for the fact that there is a God in the room who is bigger than everything that I could possibly be facing in my life. And how dare I give anything in my life more attention than I give to the God who is bigger than everything in my life. Come on, somebody. The fear of the Lord must return to this nation. We've got to come back to a place where we understand that above everything, above every trial, above every test, above every dream, above every ambition, above every hope, there is a God who is worthy of glory and honor and praise and that if we will put Him first, that He will do the mighty work that our world so desperately needs. Exchange your fear of circumstances for fear of God. And something happens in your life. When you make that trade and you say, God, I'm not going to fear this storm. I'm going to reverence you. Because you're bigger than this storm. And you're bigger than these trials. You're bigger than my dreams or my hopes. Maybe today you're straining at the oar, not because of the storm that's in your life, but because of the difficulty of achieving the things that you believe God has called you to achieve. And you're striving and you're straining to try to get things done. And they're not getting done or or not as easily as you would hope. And today, he's telling you, change your fear for fear. Exchange your fear of failure for a fear of God. Exchange your fear of ridicule for a fear of God. Exchange your fear of what man will say for a fear of God. And when you do that, when you come to a place where you reverence God above everything, you can smile in the midst of storm and failure because you know that God is above it all. Come on, somebody. God is above it all and worthy of our highest attention. They became scareder. And then he called out to them. Cheer up. Tell your neighbor, cheer up. Tell your neighbor, cheer up. Smile a little. I am, Pastor. It's under a mask. Say it again. Cheer up. Oh, but Pastor, there could be a war next week. Cheer up. Well, that could be another variant. Cheer up. Well, the economy doesn't look so good. Cheer up. Come on, somebody. Get your joy back. Get your smile back. God is on the throne. I said God is on the throne. You have a reason for joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He said, cheer up. It is I. And the moment that they heard his voice, they relaxed. Now pay attention. We we probably heard this story so many times we've missed all the details. This is why it's so important to hear the voice of God. Because it's the voice of God that gives you peace in storms. That gives you joy in sorrows. It's the voice of God that moves you forward when you're facing a daunting challenge or task. Friend, the voice of God is what makes the difference in our life. 
The moment they heard his voice, they were able to rest. They were able to relax. Why? Because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If there's anything you and I need today is to hear from God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow. When you have heard from God, doesn't matter what anybody tells you, they can't shake you. Come on, somebody. Have you heard from God? Has God spoken to you? Then relax. His voice brings peace. They're still in a storm. But now they've heard his voice. And the Bible says that Jesus got into the boat with them and the wind stopped. Now, Mark's gospel leaves it there. But if you read John's gospel, John 6 verse 21 says that immediately the wind stopped and the boat was on the land. Everybody say, wow. This is what I mean. We missed the details here. They heard his voice. They rested. They were on the land. You see, there are two ways you can do this. You can strain at the oars or you can rest. But you can't do both. You can either fight the storm or you can rest. But you can't do both. And some of you have been straining at the oars. And you've been working yourself to death. Just trying to survive. Just trying to stay afloat. And God is telling you what he was telling them. You can do it your way. Your way is hard. And your way will not get you to the destination. Or you can do it my way. And you can rest in my voice. And you can rest in my presence. And I will do what you can't do. I will accelerate what will take you forever to do. I'll do it in a moment. Come on somebody. I'm not talking about the Sea of Galilee right now. I'm talking about your life right now. Whatever it is you're trying to accomplish on your own. That you're straining at. That you're striving for. That you're not doing out of grace. It's not, it's not happening because you're trying to do it in your own power. What is grace? Grace is God's divine help. It's God doing in you what you could not do on your own. Straining at the oars is a picture of the sinner trying to save himself, trying to get to heaven, trying to make his way to God. But then one day you put your oar down and you said, Jesus, save me. And that very day he saved you completely. Come on, somebody. That's the grace of God. Straining at the oars is trying to build that business and trying to accomplish that great dream and Striving here and there and, and getting little progress. And then you put your oar down and you say, God, you give me the wisdom. You give me the answer. You give me the direction. I'll listen to your voice. I'll answer to what you tell me to do. And all of a sudden, you start to see that what you couldn't do on your own, God is doing through you. 
Paul said it like this. He said, I work harder than all of the apostles, and yet not I, but the grace of God in me. You see, friend, you can do it the hard way, or you can do it God's way. And God's way is simple rest. Now, this is why they failed the test. They didn't, they didn't fail the test because they were in a storm. You can't help storms sometimes. Sometimes you can't. And some of you are in storms that you made. You don't have to say amen. I'm going to keep preaching. Because when you sin against God, you sin against God's word, storms will come into your life. And the only way out of them is to repent. And to say, God, I am wrong. I am sorry. I am repenting before you. And I'm asking you to take me out of this mess. And if you'll repent, he'll bring the storm to an end. So those storms come because of sin. But most of the storms that we're talking about this morning, they don't come because you chose them. They don't come because you invited them. They don't come because of something wrong you did. They come because you live in a broken world with an evil devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so they weren't failing the test because they were in a storm. They were failing the test because they had not learned the lesson of the last test. Look at verse 52. They had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. Now these guys, I imagine, a lot like me. You say, Jesus now with them in the boat, and he says, guys, the reason that this happened was because you didn't learn anything from the fish and the bread. Say, but Lord, what does that have to do with anything? That's a different sermon. That's a different paragraph. But God was saying to them, look, if you had watched me on that mountain, I didn't get stressed out because there was no food. I didn't get stressed out because I only had five loaves and two fish. I simply put it in God's hands and then I watched him work. Are you with me this morning? He said they gained no insight from the fish and the loaves. God is always teaching. The last miracle you had in your life was a lesson. The last breakthrough you had in your life was a lesson. The last time that God did something in your life, it was a lesson. What does he intend? He intends for us to gain insight from those things. And to say, you know what, if God showed up last month when I needed his help on this matter, then surely God will show up this month when I need his help on another matter. Come on, somebody. That that you and I are not waking up every morning as if we have no relationship with God, as if we have no track record, as if God has never done anything in our life. But we wake up every morning and we know this. Whatever happens today, I know that I'm with God and God will be the one to give me the way forward and the way out and the way up because I am walking with him. And friends, 
That's the grace of God operating in your life. When God enables you to do those things that you can't do on your own or in your own strength. But he'll never step in while you're trying to strain at the oars. He'll never step in when you're trying to do the work. He says to you this morning, this burden will be carried by one of two people, you or me. This storm will be dealt with by one or two people, you or me, not both. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now listen, he said they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. Why? Why? You have your Bible there, right? Verse 52. Their hearts were hardened. Well, pastor, I couldn't have a hardened heart. I, I, I've been in church every week. These guys had just experienced a miracle. They just passed out the bread. Do you think it's possible that you could be actually passing out miracle bread and not receive any insight because of a hardened heart? Be careful. Because this pandemic, one of the greatest problems of the pandemic is the hardening of hearts. And Jesus told us this would happen. He said, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. They'll harden their hearts. Not because God hasn't done anything. Not because God isn't answering their prayers. Not because God isn't moving. But simply because they've allowed the cares of this life to harden them to the, to the reality of the presence of Jesus. And friends, I don't want to be a man who's preaching and serving and handing out bread and never eat any for myself. And I don't want any person in this church, volunteer or church member, to be living for God and doing all that you can do to serve your, your, your neighbor, but not enjoying the sweet Fellowship that comes with knowing Jesus. Because there is something bigger than the miracles. Something bigger than the provisions. It's knowing Him. It's knowing Jesus. It's knowing the presence of God. Their hearts have become hardened. And this this doesn't happen. Often we think of a hardened heart as some grumpy old man who's mad at God. But there are believers with hardened hearts simply because they say, well, God, I asked for this. It didn't happen, so you must not answer. They've allowed unbelief and doubt and tradition to harden their heart toward the reality of God in their life. Jesus said, you've taken no insight. Now, here's the challenge this morning. Just just look over your heart. Let the Holy Spirit look over your heart this morning. And let him point out some places where God was working, but you didn't see it. Where he didn't show 
a sensitivity to his voice. And let's just repent of those things right now. I just say, God, I'm sorry because you did show up in my life, but I never thanked you. I never took it as a, a lesson. And now I'm in this storm. And I realize that if you did it once, you can do it again. Come on, just take a moment. Let's deal with the hardened heart. Because God has more to do. Let him do surgery in your heart. In your life. The word of God is is the reign of heaven that softens the heart. And makes it fertile again. Father, I speak now deliverance and healing to the heart's of any single person in this room who has missed the moments where you were working, I ask you to open their eyes now. And I ask you to let them see that your grace is sufficient and that your power is at work in weakness. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me this morning? I want to make this altar call. I want to call every person into this altar that would say, Pastor Isaac, I have been straining at the oars. I've been straining. I've been rowing just to survive. And I need the grace of God in my life. If that's you this morning, would you come? He said, I'm tired. I'm tired. I can't do this on my own. Come on, you know who you are. God doesn't want you struggling. He doesn't want you just trying to survive. He wants you living in the fullness of His grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Elders, would you come, please? Hallelujah. God is doing a work of deliverance this morning. Your morning has come. It's the fourth watch. It's still dark. It's still stormy. But Jesus is walking on the sea. He's walking toward you. His voice is speaking peace. His voice is speaking life.